You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 406. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus Beckmann. See ya! Hello, hello. I mean, hey, son, hey, son, Andras. Hey, How are son, you? hey, son. <laughs> uh, hello, hello, hello. Forgot my, <laughs> my line. Hey, Annika's not here. Yeah, because I'm well, despite the fact that I had a terrible hangover a couple of days ago. But unfortunately, it looks like Annika is uh, coming down with uh, with some kind of a cold or something. She said that if we didn't want Darth Vader to... Um, be <laughs> one of the, the hosts of this show uh, this week uh, yeah. she should probably see this one out so yeah. i yeah. hope she gets better soon yeah i'm sure she will i'm sure she will and i understand you you are back in uh, europe right <laughs> you, for the moment yes for the moment yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah. you're traveling a lot i'm traveling a lot and i do tours to uh, malaysia and singapore and I'm doing them in a row. Like uh, the last one was there. Now I'm doing another one. And January, February, I'm going back again. So um, this is the season for those tours. Then I'm staying in uh, Southeast Asia because I'm going to Hong Kong and Taiwan mm-hmm. in April, uh, March and April. So yeah, busy times, busy times they in tourism. keep you busy. No, no uh, season for Canada this time of year, right? It's too cold. No, or- no, no. I would go, but um, unfortunately, most of the travelers don't share my enthusiasm for snow. Um, <laughs> or those who do, they go to uh, ski trips instead of, as, ah. as you do often. I haven't done a <laughs> okay. single one. Are you going this this uh, winter? Yeah, well, maybe. Actually, at this moment, as we speak, my wife is upstairs Googling options. So no, uh, okay. maybe we'll see. We'll see. I'd like to go yeah, just for a week. I mean, nothing fancy. We don't do any very expensive things or advanced things, but just going. It's it's a nice kind of a week's holiday where you get out in the cold air <laughs> and um, then you're out for the day and then you um, retreat back into your cabin or to a pub or something and yeah. uh, feel very healthy it- as you... <laughs> Have a couple of beers. And, but uh, cor- correct me if I'm mistaken, but you can do that domestically, right? So yeah, yeah. you don't have to leave the country for that. No, uh, it is better. We would actually prefer to go to Italy, but it's oh. extremely expensive. Well, I don't blame moment. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but the skiing is better. The food is better. The mountains are higher. But oh, yeah. uh, there are very good places in Sweden as well if you adjust your expectations a little bit and it's much Mm, much cheaper so Mm -hmm. yeah okay well i haven't ever had what 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 are they called the ones you're stepping on the skis (laughs) yeah you know this is how much i know about skiing (laughs) skiing 101 you use skis (laughs) okay so i haven't had one attached to my legs so or feet yeah um i should probably start doing that because i love mountains i love the snow i love cold weather Mm. so it's probably for me but um yeah Anyhow, this is not the sports and recreation podcast, but you it's the European Skeptics Podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, I suggest we start concentrating on what we have prepared for today. Very good. And as usual, we will start with This Week in Skeptical History, also known as Twish. Twish. 
All right, so the 28th of November, which was by the time this goes out <laughs> this week, marks the birthday of uh, someone who's a very important figure in anthropology. And his name was Claude Lévi-Strauss. So he was born on the 28th of November 1908. So he's a 20th century figure and a very big name in anthropology and ethnology. So he was born in Brussels, Belgium, to a French-Jewish family. He grew up in Paris and uh, went on studying a lot of things, including anthropology. The reason why he became a big name is because he started applying the structuralist approach to anthropology, meaning that he believed that anthropological phenomena can be broken down into structural elements very similar to those elements that you can find in linguistics. So, mm -hmm. like, when it comes to linguistics, those elements had already been very well established for the structural elements of language. But then he started applying the same things into anthropology. And when it came to those elements, one of the most important phenomena in anthropology that he was researching was mythology and how different myths developed. So this is the skeptical angle of his character mm. and his scientific field and scientific work. So he approached mythology in the same way, claiming that Myths are basically linguistic structures. So myth, according to him, is basically a language. And he said that they function on, on a, at a very high level, unlike some of the linguistic structures that had been analyzed by people like uh, Ferdinand de Saussure or um, uh, Roman Jacobson or Emile Durkheim. So he built basically on those people's work. And similar to some of the language structures like phonemes are well known, he coined the phrase methane. So it's like an element of a myth that functions as some kind of a relation between the actors of the propagation of a myth. Mm. So these elements will then proliferate. These elements will then be used and given enough time and given enough people to work with them, they will propagate and live on. The interesting thing with the structuralist approach was that he came up with the idea that these methames, I don't know how to pronounce it, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. But those can be found regardless of what the actual myth is, because certain myths will definitely have similar structural elements, like those actors, those characters, and those connections. And the most important part, according to him, was the connection itself. So it's uh, this is how, even though there are similar types of myth that can evolve as well, the basic structures are there to remain, exactly as it is found in linguistics. Because language structures and the evolution of languages is very similar in that the basic structural elements remain the same even though the vocabulary changes. Mm. So 
Similarly to that, he claims that a myth lives on in its basic structural elements as well, but the details can change just like the vocabulary of a language. Wow, fascinating. So it is that fascinating. means that his approach makes it easier to compare different myths and see how they evolve over time as well. Exactly. And he claims there was a work of his that gained him very high acclaim. The title, I understand that the original French title had an interesting, very intelligent pun in it as well, <laughs> but it, did, it didn't get through to the English translation. Or so, to us. La, <laughs> yes, La Pensée Sauvage was the original title and it was translated into English as The Savage Mind. And in oh. that, he explains that a savage mind and a civilized mind is basically the same with regards to the structures that it uses to formulate ideas and to pass them on. So mm -hmm. those minds work the same way in the same kind of structures, similarly to what myths are built on and how they are built up. The whole mind works the same way. Okay, so it sounds like he was on the right track, but I think the word savage has not aged well. I think it's, no, probably it's not, not yes. a word that we would use today. But uh, I understand where he's coming from. And this is uh, over 100 years ago, or uh, about 100 years ago. I guess. Well, about... Um, he, he developed those theories in the mid-50s, early okay. 60s. Okay, so it's okay. not that long ago. So it's like no. a, a more, like, more like 50 years ago, 50, 70 years ago. Okay, okay. Huh. The basic idea of how a civilized mind works the same way, therefore, makes the same mistakes as well in building up and assessing a situation and understanding the world. Mm -hmm. um, we come across that very, very often. And my understanding is that he was the first one to actually think about all that and that mm. kind of problem. Mm. So the theory of culture, theory of mind, and the structuralist approach to anthropology is mostly he's doing. Uh, so that was Claude Lévi-Strauss, mm. who was born on the 28th of November 1908. Interesting. I've never heard of this, yeah. uh, of him or, or the whole science of it. But uh, yeah. it's almost like, you know, it's almost like a quote-unquote savage mind and a civilized mind is the same. We're all just humans and we think in the yeah. same way. And um, I guess for him, that was a novel revelation. Yeah, yeah. That was Claude Lévi-Strauss. Yeah, so uh, thinking of... Uh, Savage minds and uh, minds working the same way. <laughs> uh, religions can emerge from that, right? That makes me think you probably have something to poke the Pope for this week. Yes, I do. Or rather, it will be a, a, br a brief update because I wanted to mention that Frankie is ill. Not because I'm happy about that, but because it's important. Uh, at his age... That is an issue, and he's turning 87 in a couple of weeks. Wow. He has uh, He's already been on the job longer than Benedict, and he has just passed the age when Benedict decided to resign. On the weekly Angelus address, or Angelus, I, I want to pronounce it more like Latin. It, it, this it's is probably, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but this is the address. This is the talk that he gives every Sunday from his, typically from his window, uh, looking out over the uh, St. Peter's Square. 
But he didn't do that this uh, weekend. He instead streamed it online. And uh, he had the head of office at the Secretariat of State, Monsignor Paolo Luca Braida, if that's an Italian last name, B-R-A-I-D-A, Braida, Braida. Could be. Yeah, I don't know. No, Probably anyway, not a very common one. <laughs> maybe not, maybe not. But this Monsignor, <laughs> at least, read out the talk from a written paper instead of Frankie giving it. Ah. But before that happened, Frankie did speak and he said that, quote, Today I cannot come to the window because I have this problem of inflammation of the lungs, end quote. <sighs> I don't know if that's the medical description but i'm quoting him so that's the inflammation of the lungs so there was a, a scare there is a question if it's n- real pneumonia or if it's some more like a flu symptom and the vatican mm-hmm. is pretty hush hush about it they don't really want to talk about frankie being ill but apparently there's something he was seen uh, in this live stream with an iv needle in his right hand so he was getting some iv probably antibiotics or something like that mm-hmm. So, because of his illness, Frankie announced on Monday that he has postponed several commitments in order to preserve his strength because he's still going, uh, well, he's still planning to at least go to Dubai for the COP28 climate change summit. He's going there on the 1st of December. So, this is on Friday when this show comes out. And he'll stay there until the 3rd of December. If he is up to it, that is. But he says he is, and he will. I'm just wondering, of course, always, people know this by now. I'm wondering, what is the relevance of a pope when it comes to the science of the climate crisis? He has no scientific expertise on the subject. His so-called country is the size of a postage stamp and is of no consequence (laughs) to the climate uh, of the world. And the only expertise he can bring, if you can call it that, is to pray for the planet. And I think he can do that from home. So stay home, Frankie. Take care of yourself. Don't go. I don't think you will make any difference at the actual summit. Uh, Yeah, especially by uh, flying over a couple of people on a massive plane, just taking them a couple of thousands kilometers away from home. So uh, for nothing. Yeah. Uh, Well. Anyway, that's his plan for now. Mm, Good. Good plan. Good plan. Um, yeah. Apparently, if it's just a prayer, then you can definitely do it from your from home. Because no matter where you are, God loves you. God follows you. God listens to you. So, well, apparently, why move away? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. Let's talk about what's new out in the world. Yeah. This is not very much news, but unfortunately, on the 7th of October, something terrible started. It was a brutal attack by Hamas, a terrorist organization, on Israeli civilians. And the surprise attack came with retaliations by Israel. And uh, that ended up blowing up to an actual war. So now we are referring to that as Israel-Hamas war. More than 10,000 civilians, uh, the vast majority of them Palestinians, have been killed since then. And it's a terrible humanitarian catastrophe. From a skeptical point of view, there is an other level of it being terrible, because not only there are unresolvable levels of violence and hatred towards the two 
two sides. This is further worked up by the spreading of misinformation. And all kinds of disinformation campaigns are going on on both sides. Uh, I'm not trying to be a relativist here. It's true. So everyone is trying to twist and tweak the news towards their own agenda. But there are some that are more frequently spread than others. There is a collection of those claims and viral rumors on Snopes's website that I'd like to mention a few of. So first of all, a lot of people claim that because Hamas was elected by a majority of Palestinians in Gaza. It is a legitimate claim, according to them, that Hamas stands for all Palestinians and all the Palestinians who live in the area in the Gaza Strip. But we have to take into account that there was an election held in the Gaza Strip, but that was in 2006, Mm. 17 years ago. And since then, Hamas has basically been in control, and that control came with a lot of violence, retaliations towards those who tried to think otherwise and criticized Hamas. So that's basically an authoritarian regime that was elected and hasn't been on trial ever since by the electorate. So that is just a a half-truth that Palestinians elected it. Yes, they elected them, but it has been going out of control since 2006. I mean, not in the sense that Hamas is in control, because they are. But a lot of people have regretted since when they criticized Hamas. So Mm -hmm. those are the levels of actual representation of all Palestinians. On the other side, there is another thing that they claim that Israeli babies were beheaded by Hamas militants during the October 7th surprise attack. And Snopes hasn't found any actual evidence that those infant beheadings had occurred. So this is very much the kind of message that will drive everyone mad and that will result in angry people towards Hamas. And we have every reason to be angry with Hamas, but that kind of disinformation, which this most probably is, is just making it even worse. Mm. There is another claim that has been making the rounds on Reddit, of course, that Palestinians, according to United Nations, do not have the right to collect rainwater or build a well on the land because it belongs to Israel and Israel's property is not to be used for that. But the the fact is that that was not a UN document. That was referring to a specific military order in 2009 that did state that rainwater was the property of Israel, but... Um, since then, it has not been in the same way enforced. So to claim that Israel tries to stop them from even getting water and collecting rainwater, it's also, again, it's it's a bit of a half-truth situation there. Mm. Yeah, and there is another one that also claims that um, the Gaza Parliament building was demolished by Israel's uh, military, which is also not true. So it doesn't say uh, what building it was that was blown up, 
but a couple of days ago, soldiers were photographed inside that building that was supposed to have been blown up. So this is just a couple of those that are being spread all over the place, all over social media, and it's definitely not helping the situation. So if we want peace there, first of all, it's impossible, apparently. It's been going on for thousands of years, and it's not going to be an, um, an easy issue to resolve. But spreading misinformation and falsehoods is not the way to go forward. We should try to at least listen to fact-checkers, try to find out if a certain claim is verified and the photos that are being shared on social media are verifiable. If not, please refrain from sharing them because Mm. it's just more fuel on the already very high flames. Don't don't do that. And we should remember also that um, it it is not strange if Israel wants to portray things in their favor and the Palestinians want to portray it in their favor. So there's misinformation from both of those sides, but there's also misinformation coming from places like Russia or other actors who just want to create more confusion. And chaos, yeah. And they don't care which side they take. They just share anything or invent things just to fuel the conflict because... Russia, for instance, wants the world to focus on this conflict so that they can continue to make war with Ukraine. And yeah. uh, we see that effect already, that people are, I wouldn't say they, they forget the aggression from Russia towards Ukraine, but can, you can but only this is now a hotter topic. <laughs> you can only have one front page news, right? So if yes, you put exactly. in something else, something has to go. And uh, never share anything unless you're 100% certain that this is correct. And the, there is one reason why not to do so. I've seen, since this started, I've seen people going head-to-head about this conflict without knowing all the details, mm. without having verified information that they share. It's very easy to jump on something that you agree with just because you have already chosen a site I mean, nobody can choose the side of terrorists. That's very clear. But we are talking about the Palestinian people who are suffering now. And some people would go as far as to denying the fact that there is a humanitarian catastrophe situation here because they are so angry with Hamas and the Hamas terrorists. Please, when you feel that very, very strong emotion... Be doubly cautious when you're assessing a certain news item, uh, because it's much easier to react based on emotions than to resort to your common sense and the facts. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. All right. So, totally different subject now. We go to Germany and to Dusseldorf. For a Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf for a legal update, which has anti-vax connections. Four different lawsuits have been dismissed by the Dusseldorf Regional Court. So there was three women and one man who went to court and claimed that they had been damaged by the COVID vaccination, specifically the mRNA vaccines. And they claimed that they had suffered from exhaustion, concentration disorders, damage to the immune system, respiratory and lung problems, autoimmune reactions 
and symptoms of myocarditis. So only there. If, if you have all of these symptoms, that's a very powerful uh, vaccine indeed. And they mm. demanded compensation uh, for of up to 250,000 euros for suffering and damages. But the court rejected the claims. So that's good news because from a scientific point of view, there's no indication that the risks outweigh the benefits of the mRNA vaccines. First of all, I'm not saying that they are lying because they may well think that this is what happened to them. But from a scientific point of view, this is highly unlikely, highly unlikely. And this is why I bring this up. Even though this ended sort of well with the court said, no, no, your claims are not valid, can't be right. I want to bring it up because I feel very uncomfortable whenever scientific matters are ruled upon by the legal system. Lawyers are not scientists and they may not understand the principles of science, the importance of double-blinded trials, peer review, scientific consensus, things like that. And several years ago, I remember we brought it up here on the show. There was a case where a farmer got awarded damages because he had cancer, which was true, he had cancer. But he blamed that on Roundup, the herbicide Roundup that he had used on his farm. And I'm full of sympathy for a person who suffers from cancer. But from a scientific point of view, it is very, very unlikely that Roundup and glyphosate, which is the active ingredients here, had anything to do with his illness. But since the court ruled in his favor, well, good for him, I guess. But now the spreaders of misinformation can point to this case and say, look, it was proven in court that glyphosate causes cancer because why would they have uh, awarded him damages for it? But the burden of proof is totally different in the legal system than in science. And um, even though in these cases, these new cases regarding the mRNA vaccines, the court did listen to the science. It ended well, but it could just have as well have gone the other way around. So it makes mm -hmm. me very uncomfortable when these things come up in court. So it was basically thanks to a judge Probably. or a couple of, couple of judges assessing the situation right. Yeah. I mean, correctly and Someone yes. else could have gone get the other other direction. Yeah, I don't know the details, yeah. but that's likely how it happened. There was a yeah. somebody there in the courts who, who understood science and said, well, mm -hmm. this is not how it works. But we've seen examples yeah. when it goes the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need to open the eyes of people um, to science and uh, how science works and, and how to communicate science. So this is what one of our favorite pages, Skeptical Science, does. And uh, we've had uh, Babel Winkler on the show. We've had John Cook on the show as well from that project. So I'd like to do a little bit of a promotion of their things because they, they say that um, the Giving Tuesday is something that this they decided to follow this this year. So it's about a, an activism-driven initiative that is taking place on the Tuesday after Thanksgiving in the United States. But it has grown into an international kind of phenomenon when uh, people from different fields of activism come together and they issue the calls for help. So this is what Skeptical Science does this year, and I'd like to help them. 
with it, mm-hmm. uh, with the show that we are we are doing here. So, what does skeptical science do? They provide readers with accurate and reliable information on climate science and regarding climate change, but there is more to what they do because there is a poster. It's called a flick poster which uh, deals with things like uh, how disinformation campaigns are done. So it's a, a basically a disinformation 101. The FLIC stands for Fake Experts, Logical Fallacies, Impossible Expectations, Cherry Picking and Conspiracy Theories. And there is a poster format that explains a lot and you can spread it, you can, you can share it with anyone. And it has been translated to a lot of different languages and a lot of other translation projects are in the works, but they need more. So apparently German, Dutch, Portuguese, Spanish, French, Polish and others are already done, but there are so many more languages out in the world where you can use them. And you can be you can rest assured that these are very well researched pieces because everything that they come up with is basically backed up by the latest in social sciences and social psychology and cognitive psychology and everything. So we've had um, Stephen Lewandowski on, on this show as well before. He's one of the researchers alongside John Cook, the aforementioned John Cook, who come up with all that research. And um, there is something that came out of that kind of research as well, and that is the Cranky Uncle Game. The Cranky Uncle Game helps people with the inoculation approach in a game format that helps develop your skills in identifying falsehoods and fake news and uh, disinformation and being more immune to that. So um, now you talked about vaccination. That is very similar to vaccinating our minds against falsehoods. So that is something that needs translation as well. It has been translated into several different languages also, but there is always need for more of those. So if you want to help them, get in touch with them. And obviously, we will share the link on our show notes. And you can get in touch with them through the website. And Baba Winkler will be very happy to hear from you if you're willing to do one of those translation projects alongside yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. your counterparts from all over the world. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Very good, very good. I think a lot of this has been translated into Swedish, I'm proud to say, uh, by yeah. our own Lotten Kalenius. Shout out to her in, in the Swedish uh, board. Yeah, well done. VOF board. She's been very... Uh, I don't know if the poster per se is... I'll have to ask her about that. But it's good mm. to spread this in all languages available. All right. So I mentioned Sweden here. There is always another Macchiarini update. No way. Ah, <laughs> uh, there's a Macchiarini update. Yes. The story of Paolo Macchiarini, the so-called super surgeon, goes on and on. And I, and I struggle. I brought it up so many times on this show. So I, I struggle with how much I need to recap what's happened before because long-time listeners will probably have heard it uh, several times already, but then again, we may have new listeners. So I'll try to keep it short, just through the background. Paolo Macchiarini is an Italian surgeon who way back, just before 2010, claimed that he had developed a groundbreaking new method to replace the trachea of people with a plastic trachea without issues of the new implant being rejected by the host. And the trick, he said, 
was to rinse the plastic trachea with stem cells from the patient himself or herself, and then there would be no rejection. And for those who do not know, the trachea is the upper part of the wind pipes, if you will. So this is the part that you breed through. Well, you have to do that. Otherwise, you, you die. So if you have an injury or a cancer case, it's a big problem. So his new invention was fantastic stuff if it only had worked. But it turned out that Macchiarini had falsified his studies and he lied that he had gotten this to work uh, in animal experiments. He said he had done this in pigs, to be precise, but he had not. Well, he had tried, but it didn't work. He said it worked. So, as I said, he was hailed as the quote-unquote super surgeon, and he got a very fancy position at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, known for producing several Nobel laureates, and uh, it's very prestigious. He was put in charge of building up an international clinic that was to receive patients from all over the world to perform his magic on them, and he proceeded to operate on patients actually without having the ethical clearance to do so. Mm -hmm. And all of them died except one, because in that specific one patient, they he didn't actually remove the old trachea. So when it all went badly, other surgeons could take out the plastic one and they, they could save this person's life. Terrible stuff. All in all, if my counting is correct, 11 people died as a result of his experiments on living humans. I have reported earlier that after many years of investigations and legal stuff, Macchiarini in June this year got sentenced in Sweden to two and a half years in prison for causing bodily harm on three of the patients. That was the scope of that trial. This was in the second appeal court of Sweden, and uh, they actually increased the earlier sentence from before. Macchiarini tried to appeal again to the Swedish Supreme Court And what is new is that the Supreme Court dismissed the appeal on the 30th of October. So that's about a month ago. So uh, that's that. Macarini will serve time in prison. And I can just say that two and a half years is not long enough. I guess it's something. But there is more. There is much more. I listened to a Swedish radio documentary that was released last week. And I realized that I had not understood how crazy Macchiarini's behavior was. In 2013, he was approached by an American journalist called Benita Alexander, who wanted to make a documentary about this so-called super surgeon, because this was before we knew anything was wrong. And he took her for quite a ride. They got romantically involved, and he made more and more outlandish promises. He admitted that he was still married back in Italy, but the only reason he was still married was that it was so hard to get a Catholic divorce. And at this time, he traveled a lot and he sent love letters from all over the world describing how he was meeting and fraternizing with world leaders, Nobel laureates, and other famous people. This went on for a year or two, and then he announced that the divorce had finally come through and the two of them made a big celebration of it. And she was very happy. Uh, This is her own words. He said then that he wanted to have a big wedding back in Italy. Uh, They could finally get married. He had already booked the venue. The date was set. Uh, The list of celebrities that were going to attend just kept growing. The Clintons was going to be there. The Obamas as well. 
Andrea Bocelli, famous tenor, was going to sing at the <laughs> wedding because he was a personal friend of Macchiarini's, or so she was told. And then one day he declared that the Pope himself, Pope Frankie, was going to officiate the wedding because he was also an old friend of his. Now it started to sound crazy Is to he that mother of a Janot job? I mean... Wow. She started to feel this is, she was getting uncomfortable at this point. This is crazy. But on the other hand, she thought still that nobody could invent all of this. That would be crazy. I mean, it has to oh, be yeah. true because it's so outrageous. You can't <laughs> make this up. And oh, friends God. and family were starting to plan to fly over to Italy for the big party. But she she was feeling very uncomfortable. And what finally pushed her over the edge was that she read in the news that Pope Francis was going to be on a long trip abroad during the time when the wedding was going to happen. He wasn't even going to be in Italy at the time. So finally, the whole house of cards came falling down and she realized it was all lies from beginning to end. It turned out not only was he still married to his wife in Italy, there was no divorce. But he had also another family with another woman in Barcelona, and they had two kids together that he never mentioned. So, of course, at this point, she broke off with him. Everything was in ruins, and she realized that if he could deceive her like that, everything else, the groundbreaking surgical miracles that he was claiming, could also all be lies, and probably was. And he turned out to be nothing but a very charismatic charlatan that constantly seduced people around him, romantically in her case, but also professionally with with the people at Karolinska, etc. So this is an incredible story. I don't know what to say, but it's you... really unbelievable. I, I I cannot find the words. I mean, we we knew that he there was something wrong with him because he kept on claiming things that were untrue. But the fact that he had gone this far with all the nonsense, yeah, you would understand how professionally someone would hesitate to admit that they were wrong and they did something wrong. Yeah. When I first he- heard about him, this was what I thought yeah. was going uh, on. Me, me too. I mean, you could, it's also sort of natural that you exaggerate your success a little bit and you try to portray yourself in a little better light than... And the more you do, it's a more, more difficult for you to yeah. a- admit that you did something wrong. Correct. Right? Correct. So from but getting back is, from there. But this is borderline i mean you shouldn't put a mental diagnosis on somebody but he's a compulsive liar apparently and yeah, you know it's, it's absolutely it's, crazy it's, and how was he how did he expect to get away with this who who would believe that the bloody pope is going to officiate a wedding between a divorced catholic <laughs> yeah. and her she is not even a catholic i mean yeah. Okay. Pope, no pope would ever do such a thing out of principles. I don't. I, I don't think Francis ever marries anybody. And if he would do it, it would be to very devout Catholics. Maybe, maybe, maybe he could do that. But, yeah. Uh, and so that's just one illustri- of the illustrious people. Of and the Obamas were going to be there, and the Clintons, <laughs> yeah. and Andrea <laughs> Bocelli. Wow! Wow! Oh wow, my wow. God! So. Yeah. This was this week's uh, Macchiarini update. I can't promise that there won't be more, but it seems like you can't top this. 
Yeah. How many more skeletons can fall out of the cupboard? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing <laughs> that with all of us. Well, I think we could consider that a really wrong as well. But uh, this week, we are skipping that because you can. we cannot top... <laughs> No, <laughs> Macchiarini's craziness with anything. <laughs> we'll just skip it for this week. But I do believe that you do have a word of the week for us. Yes, I do. Okay, what is it? Okay, that's a good question. That's a good question because the spelling that you can see on, on the screen under the listeners can't, it's spelled D-O-B-H-A-R-C-H-U with an, what do you call that? Accent? No. An accent? Yeah, an accent. Mm-hmm. With an accent on it. But it is pronounced, and I will play this because uh, I do not dare to try to. And this is this is a recording of a, a, a woman who's saying this word twice. So first l- slowly and then fast. Here you go. Dorhu. 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 Okay. But I've I also seen it transcribed as Dorku with a hard K. Or, okay. So I don't know. Dorhu, Dorku. Have you got any idea what language this is? Last week you managed to figure it out. This time it's... Um, Dorhu. Dorhu. It's because, because of the very strictly pronounced R, mm-hmm. I would say either Scottish Gaelic... Or Irish, or... Uh, you're fantastic. It's Irish. Very good. Very good, Andras. That's, um, I'm so impressed. So it is Irish. And uh, what it means is water dog. And this is a cryptid. It is, is a fabled uh, creature, like the Loch Ness Monster or something. It's also known as the King Otter, because it looks like a giant otter or maybe a dog. Uh, two or three or even up to five meters in length, like a crocodile almost. So it lives in the in the waters of um, in on Ireland, I guess, and it's very dangerous apparently. And I read from the website Irish Central, quote: "The Dorhu is a bloodthirsty, gruesome creature that lives deep in waters of a lake, river, or even a sea, and is known to be able to travel great distances in water or on land. This monster hound is known for its speed, aggression, and appetite for human flesh. End quote. (laughs) So really, really a nightmarish kind of thing here. Another detail is that the Dorhu or Dorku is are said to be living in pairs. So even if you you meet one and you manage to kill it, in its death it will give out an eerie high pitched whistle to summon oh. its mate, and then the mate will come up from the waters and kill you and avenge the mm, death of the first okay. one. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seems like the myth is from the 1700s. I couldn't find anything that it was older than that, but maybe it is. And uh, it's known from anecdotes, and there's even some headstone on a churchyard where it's mentioned that this person was killed by a dorhu. And, um, dorhu. So, dorhu. Or dorku. 
Uh, if we have any Irish listeners, please uh, send in a correction of the of the pronunciation because there was a little bit of a different takes on that on the websites that I could find. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so, fascinating. Yeah. So that was word of the week. Uh, thank you. Mm. And so that brings us to the end of today's episode. But before we go, even though Annika is not here to share a quote with us, I did find one and I'd like to share it with everyone. And it's too bad that Annika is not here because she could uh, help us with the original German um, <laughs> text because it was by one Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. I'm pretty sure that everyone has heard that name before. He's one of the giants of German literature and European literature for that matter. And he said the following, Misunderstandings and lethargy perhaps produce more wrong in the world than deceit and malice do. At any rate, the latter two are certainly rarer. Hmm. Yeah, I guess like, that's right. Yeah. What's that called? It's, a, it's, it's called... Han Hanlon's Razor, yeah. Exactly. I was going to say that. <laughs> Hanlon's Razor. So never attribute to malice what could be in, attributed to incompetence or mistakes. I can't Stupidity, exactly... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I like to use that very often, Hanlon's Razor. But it just shows you that it wasn't originating from the 20th century, what a lot of people do believe. Much earlier than that, even Johann Wolfgang von Goethe said something along those lines. Yeah, very good. probably true. <laughs> All right. But that really marks the, uh, the end of today's episode. So I'd like to thank you, Pontus. Thanks a lot. Hopefully, Annika will be back next week. And I'd like to thank our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so and spread the word. Like us, follow us, support us in any way you can. And until next week, goodbye. Hello. Vislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. So, he was born on the 28th of November 1909. So, he's a 20th century Sorry, figure. Sorry, it says 1908 in the script. 19, what did I say? Nine. 1909. Sorry, it's 1908, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Not only there are... Um, 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 a lack of vocabulary there are there are there, yes <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you. Paka paka. Oh, what is it? Paka paka. Tschüss. Tschüss. Tschüss.